Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello. It's Thursday, the 8th of October. I'm Steve Hobbs, and welcome to the London Marathon Debrief edition of the Milestone Pursuit podcast. So what do we have today? Well, for once, I'm not recording this whilst on the run. You'll be glad to know. You're going to get me huffing and puffing along. And for second, what we've got today is debrief chats with Natasha and Josh following the conversations we had with them last week in the lead up to the London Marathon that obviously took place at the weekend just past. But I'm adding to that this, this time round with a conversation with Paul Martelletti, who I know well, a club mate of mine at Victoria Park Harriers and Tower Hamlets AC. And while Natasha and Josh had good races but missed their goals, Paul also missed his goal and has a slightly different perspective on it. So as well as getting their thoughts on what happened in the race, I thought it'd be interesting to test a couple of hypotheses that I'd had. And in particular, the fact that the times that people were running in the race book might have been down versus what we would have expected or certainly what the media hype was leading us to believe would be possible. And those two hypotheses really are around the conditions. It was rainy, windy and cold. So I'm interested in how the athletes felt about that. And then the other hypothesis was around stress. And that stress being the stress of a non-normal experience for each of the athletes. So the, in that, there is the biosecure bubble, there is a lat course, there is continuous right-hand turns, the lack of spectators, even the lack of kind of wrap-up afterwards and being able to talk to one another after the race. And I just wanted to understand a little bit more about how each of them coped with that, if they felt it was a factor or not for them. And I thought it might just make an interesting conversation. So we'll get straight into it. And we'll get straight into it with the, the newly crowned British champion for the women's marathon, Natasha Cochran. Okay, so Natasha, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again so quickly after the race. I suppose it's a Natasha Cochran British champion now. How does that feel? <laughs> yeah, slightly different to when I last spoke to you, but yeah, amazing feeling. And it was obviously a great race and it was a really good battle between you and Naomi Mitchell. We'll talk about that in a little while, but are you you didn't get the Olympic qualifying time and that was something you were focused on. Are you, are you disappointed about that? Yeah, that was always going to be the ultimate goal of the race to get the Olympic standard. That was the main reason why I was doing the race. So really disappointed I didn't get it. But at the same time, I can't be too upset. I mean, taking the British title is awesome as well. And I think given the conditions on the day, it was just so cold, not really PB weather. And the fact that the three weeks prior to the race just didn't go to plan. So I can't be too upset. I'm still happy with the performance. And it gives, it's given me more confidence to go forward and get the standard in the future. I, th I think that's really interesting because I think that in running and in particular road running and marathon running, we've become obsessed over time. And obviously you were, you were focused on an, a time that you needed to achieve to potentially run in the Olympics. Um, but running is more than, and racing is more than just about time, isn't it? And what you did was slug it out to, to win a race and win a title. And the good thing about the title is it's always going to be there. You know, you're always going to have been British champion in 2020. And nobody can ever take that away from you. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think I went out with the paces. I was on pace. And as soon as I dropped off the pace, I think it was around 16 miles. I just realized like, I'm not going to hit the time today. So I'm just going to go for the British title. And that's what I did. Just put everything out there to get that win. Yeah, brilliant. And we and obviously the other factor in all of this was the conditions. So you started at 7.15. You've been up since what time? Yeah, we, I was up at 3.30. Well, out the door at 3.30 for a little shakeout before breakfast at four. And then we left the hotel at 4.30. So yeah, really early start. Not ideal. But... No, not ideal. So I guess sleep the night before wouldn't have been ideal by any stretch. No, not at all. Yeah. And then you're up and it's raining and cold. Um, and the rain makes it cold, obviously. So you had all that to contend with. And then, of course, there's the biosecure nature of the race. So that's all a bit alien and a bit weird. So I guess that was a bit of a factor too. We, we, I'm going to ask you about that in a little while. But the other thing was that you've just alluded to was that you had a, a, a bit of a difficult two to three weeks beforehand. Yeah, I finished my best workout I'd ever done, uh, which was a 10-mile tempo, which I closed in a sub-five mile, which I've not done since my track days haven't gone under the five minute mile so that was awesome I was like I'm in great shape I'm on for this Olympic standard and yeah the next day I couldn't even run more than half a mile because the pain was just too much so tried to rehab it myself and whatnot for a week which wasn't working so traveled back to Wales to get some physio and still didn't really have much much success there so went back again the following week to see physio and doctor just for the day but ended up having to stay the whole week um, just get intense treatment for that week so I was a bit unsure of whether I'd actually make the start line so just to be there was an experience and just surreal getting to the start line not alone finishing the race and then going on to be British champion. <laughs> Brilliant and what was, what was the issue? Uh, we're still not 100% sure but the MRI showed up what we think is a ganglion cyst on the ligament and then I also had an ultrasound, which showed some sort of inflammation around that area. And that's in the Achilles? So uh, yes, yeah, so around the Achilles ankle kind of area. Um, but that's kind of why I went and did the race, because they checked all my tendons were still healthy and everything else was healthy, which they said was. So I wasn't going to do any more damage. Brilliant. So hopefully I can get the cyst sorted, if yeah. it is that. Yeah, well, you can, now you've got the opportunity to do it, haven't you? Because you can, you, you know, having raced a marathon, having had a big training block, you need to have a bit of a break anyway, don't you? So there's a good opportunity. Yes, to, exactly. To get yeah, so I'll be travelling back in the next week or so to have a consultation with a doctor and physio together to try and come up with a plan. So back to, to Wales? Back to yeah, back to Wales for that. Okay, cool. So you're in Norfolk now? Yeah, Norfolk. Oh, just relaxing, <laughs> trying to chill out? Yeah, well, back to work today, but yeah, relaxing too. Back to work for the British champion. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's always, uh, always, I always think when I'm coaching people to run marathons, that you go through this experience of this, the day of the race is a massive lift. You get a massive high from the race. The achievement of finishing a marathon is, is great no matter who you are, no matter what standard it is. It's always the completion is an amazing feeling. And you get all that kudos and glory uh, externally and internally on the Sunday. Monday you get quite a lot as well because there's a bit of a catch up. You might see some people at work or whatever you haven't seen before. So you're still on a bit of a high on Monday. But by Tuesday, you're sort of yesterday's news and nobody's that interested in you and you're starting to feel really tired because you haven't slept particularly well and there's a bit of an emotional crash. Does that happen to you as well? Yeah, I think it was, well, I think I had the emotional crash before the race because I thought <laughs> yeah. I was going to have 
after all. Yeah. So it was kind of, yeah, I think I went through all that before and then going through it all again now as well. I'm still getting through all the messages. I've just got so many. So yeah, I think once I've got through them all, I'll probably have another crash at some point. Yeah, I always think it's really important in this week to make sure you know that that crash is coming, that it's going to be okay. You'll get through it. And by the end of the week, you'll start feeling a bit happier again. Because it does, <laughs> it does go like, you, you, there is a post-marathon blues effect. But as British champion, maybe you don't get that. Maybe you can live off that for a little while longer. Who knows? Um, I'm sure it's, it'll come at some point. <laughs> yeah. So t- talk to me about the race because it was it play, played out in in an unpredictable way, in a way that that none of the commentators particularly were expecting. The focus really was on Steph Twell, who was in theory the fastest woman on the uh, fastest British woman on on the start line, and Lily. It's all about Lily, Lily Partridge and Steph. But they obviously both didn't have great days but you and Naomi Mitchell did. So how, how did it play out in your mind? Talk us through that. I think going into the race, because of the past three weeks, I just had no idea what to expect. Like I knew I was in PB shape prior to the injury, but then having the three weeks pretty much off training, completely minus the cross training, and just the emotional side of it as well, it just took a lot out of me. So yeah, I just didn't know what to expect, but I had nothing to lose. So that's why I went with Olympic standard pacemakers, just because I knew I had nothing to lose. Might as well do whatever I could to reach the goal of Olympic standard. And yeah, that's just kind of how it planned out and where I ended up. I couldn't control the other athletes in the race. So yeah, just went for it, really. So um, And there's an interesting point in the race where... Um, and before the race, Naomi Mitchell was, you know, she was the the massive outsider, PB of 2.37, okay. and she fell off that, she actually went with that pace group, didn't she, initially, and yeah. then fell off it quite quickly, and I, I was watching it thinking, okay, so, you know, she's worked out, or she's obviously gone off too fast, or she's worked out that she needs to pull back, but obviously she came back into the race, and overtook you in the last sort yeah. of five or six miles, didn't she? So what what happened then? What, how did you feel about that, and, and how did you cope with it? Uh, when she overtook me, I actually had nothing left in the tank to go right. with her, which is why, why she pulled away from me quite a bit. I don't know if I was just going through a rough patch in the race, because I think every marathoner during a marathon does at some point. So, sure. yeah, I didn't. It was weird, though, when she overtook me and I had I couldn't go with her and she put quite a big gap on me. I didn't at one point think she's beaten me. I just, I don't know, I just kept going along with it and, yeah, just kept focusing on her and eventually she came back to me I think maybe she was having a good patch when she passed me and I was having a bad patch and then it kind of switched around so I caught her and when I caught her up I just sat with her for a little while I think we did about a lap together but I felt really comfortable once I did catch her back up so at that point I kind of knew that if I just sat on her I could push on the last lap and yeah take the title yeah brilliant but not many seconds in the end I mean she did she had a little bit of a surge right at the end as well didn't she she was sort of catching you in the yeah. last lap yeah so I felt really good the last lap and then I saw the 600 meters to go and that last 600 meters was the longest <laughs> 600 meters I've ever yeah. felt yeah I bet it was you got a t- <laughs> title on the line you're running for a title it's amazing and you know that someone's not that far behind you waiting to catch you if you slip up but I mean the interesting thing about that about your performance versus Naomi was your belief actually that you you if you maintained your pace you'd probably be okay because you can't ever be sure of that and if you let her go then she could you know get get a big gap on you so having that conviction just to stay where you're at and just wait because you know at that point in the race as well there's not that long to go you know less than 10k maybe and you're kind of it's, it's starting to get away from you a little bit potentially but it's equally 
And then when yeah. you start a 10K race, a 10K is a long way. Yeah, I think it was kind of a weird feeling as well, knowing that someone's passed you at a pace that you can't go with them, but still not giving up. I just, I didn't at any point just think I can't, I can't do this anymore. I just, I think, yeah, I just knew that I wanted to leave everything out there on the day and I would do anything I could to catch her back up, even no matter how much she pulled away from me. I just knew that I'd put everything out there to do what I could. Yeah, brilliant. And it's really good. Like I said before, the focus in the sport has been around times, partly because of the shoes, all that sort of stuff. Everyone's been obsessed with sub two hours for the men and Bridget Koskar's world record for the women and, and the qualifying times and the improvements in standards. But actually, there is some really good racing to be had. So you had a great race. Sarah Hall had a brilliant finish in her race. The men's race went to the wire as well. So it's really, you know, if, if you look at it as a spectacle, it's really exciting. And I think that's good, good for running, irrespective of the fact you didn't achieve your, your objective of the qualifying time. Yeah, in a way, it was actually kind of nice that, I mean, it wasn't nice that the weather was as bad as it was, but it did make it more of an actual race rather than just on times, which I, I do miss that from the marathon running. It does seem that it's too focused on times nowadays. So mm. it was nice to just get out there, forget times once the time, the once I realised the Olympic qualifying wasn't going to happen, it was just nice to race, properly race. Yeah, and do you think your pedigree on the track has had a role to play in that then, that, you know, where it is more pure about racing? I think so, yeah, especially as a junior when it was all about racing rather than times. I just mm. think I still have that in me. It's still, it's still inside me, so we'll always live on to race out the marathon as well. Cool. So also the other thing that, that strikes me in, in the whole race is all obviously it's a bit weird. It's fantastic to watch on TV. Um, you've had a great day. Some people didn't have a great day, obviously. But the whole the whole thing is a bit weird, isn't it? So you're, you know, how many of you are on the start line? 30 of you, something like that. And then including the paces. Yeah, and you've all been in the bubble since Friday. And it, it obviously was just different from like like everything in life at the moment. It was different. How did how did that feel? How how different was it? Or wasn't it? I actually yeah I actually quite liked it because I felt like I went into the bubble and I was able to just focus on myself. Whereas well normally races are quite social. You show up at the hotel and you see all even though we're rivals we are mm. friends as well. So it is quite social. Whereas in the bubble in the hotel we had to wear these bumps around which would beep at you when you got too close to someone. Yeah. So we were, we couldn't really socialize like we would at normal races. So yeah, everything was just really different about it, but it meant that I could focus more on myself, um, which I think was important, particularly important for this race as the two weeks before, I wasn't really able to do that. So I was too focused on just nursing my ankle to make it to the start line. Yeah, so all the things you would do normally to mentally prepare yourself in the two weeks prior, you couldn't do because you were too busy worrying about whether you're actually gonna be there or not. So that exactly. actually, so actually, the bubble worked in your favour because it enabled you to get some quiet time, a bit of Natasha thinking time, sort out your head, yeah. and work out your it plans. Was almost, yeah, exactly. It was almost like I needed that time away just mm. to refocus and actually get into race mode. Because prior to getting to the hotel, I just was not in that mindset at all. It was just an emotional roller coaster of two weeks before. So yeah, it was. It did work in my favour, I think. Cool. That, that, yeah. That's. I mean, it's. For me, the whole thing, because it is so weird, is going to affect people in different ways. And some people like you will have an approach that works and others will probably find it harder for whatever reason. And I don't know that from anybody individually, but I'm going to speak to 
you're the first person we're speaking to on the on the debrief. We speak to Josh and Paul Martelletti, who's a club mate of mine. So and get their views on what it was like. Josh obviously had a good day as well. Paul less so, you know, he ran under what, what he would have expected to run, but I'm sure he'll, he'll tell some good stories about it. So be, it's just interesting to me about how difference and change affects people in different ways. Um, and you've obviously coped with it really well. So I think something for you to take forward into the future, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it, especially with change is something that you just have to embrace really. You can't be scared of it because otherwise it's not gonna go well so yeah I was aware that it was going to be different and just kind of accepted that and made it into positives I guess. Yeah clearly and obviously change is part of our world now it's gonna be, we don't know what's going to happen next and you know, when the next opportunity to race is going to come along we don't know that either. Exactly. Um, and what are your thoughts now about what's next because obviously you've still got the Olympic qualifying time to try and achieve and that that ambition but you're yeah. starting to run out of time. Yeah, it's really hard because we don't know what races are on. So mm. I'd like to think that I could find a race this side of Christmas, but it's just finding that race and hoping that it's still on and that I can get into it. But if I can, then we'll definitely aim for that. Um, but at the same time, it also depends how long I take to recover. Yeah. Like my ankle takes to recover from this as well. So yes, yeah, it's all about the time and <laughs> racing the time at the moment. And you think you you can run a marathon again that soon? I think so. I've, I've done quick turnarounds before. I've done October to January, which was absolutely fine. So I'm hoping I can find something in December. Um, I was looking at Houston in January, but unfortunately that one's been cancelled now, right, yeah. um, which might be a good thing because that might have been too close to the trial race if we have a trial race, which it sounds like we're going to, but nothing's confirmed. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how, what they do about that because there's still now four... Um, women who achieved the qualifying time most people probably thought a couple more would sneak in in this race but it didn't work out for all the reasons we talked about so you wonder now whether they will or they won't whether they might pre-select but there's four of them so it'd be unfair on the fourth one if they took, exactly. th took three and left one out it's and obviously the covid situation is uncertain so yeah. watch this no, space it is making it really hard but hopefully they'll put on a trial race so give us give others a chance as well to get that time yeah you would think that they would want to do that to for, if no other reason to help the four that have already got the time to make it competitive um, yeah because otherwise it's literally it potentially becomes a race to the of attrition doesn't it who who can not be last as opposed exactly. to who, who can run fast brilliant well thank you very much for taking the time to join us again i know that you've obviously been busy fielding lots of medias British champions tend to get a bit of focus on stuff. So thanks for taking the time. Are you back at work again tomorrow? Yes, back at work again tomorrow. <laughs> okay, rest well, of the week. Well, I hope I hope it goes well and I hope you recover well and I hope you get the treatment you need on the Achilles as soon as possible. Thank you. So that was Natasha. And she talked a little bit about how to cope with change, how she copes with change. And that's really about just getting on with it, accepting that change is part of the normal. And of course, that's very true of our lives today. And she also talked about how she adapted during the race to adopt a race mindset. And that was using lessons from her past, using the confidence that her track work would have provided, but also the confidence she had in herself and her ability to stay in the race, even though that gap was opening up between her and Naomi Mitchell for a short while. So I think that was really interesting. We're going to go into, straight into Josh now. And I think there are some similar themes that come through with his debrief.
Okay, so I've now got Josh Griffiths uh, with me just on a, on a Zoom call. Again, I can just see the peak of his hat in his head. And it's Wednesday, so he's fresh back from back home from the race on Sunday, out of the bubble. So Josh, just tell, tell us to start with how you feel about the outcome. So 2.13.11, 82nd PB and third British finisher. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, sitting here on Wednesday, looking back at the race now, I'm pretty happy with how things went overall. The weather on the day, as you could see from TV, was, you know, a bit wet, uh, a little bit windy and stuff. So not exactly ideal conditions if you want to run, you know, a really fast time. As you can see from the winning times of the men's and women's race, like they, you know, they weren't setting the world alight. But yeah, you know, time-wise to still run an 80-second PB, 213 moves me up on the Welsh all-time rankings as well and yeah you know it's a, still a really good step forward and I'm definitely not unhappy with how it went you know I can't be unhappy with running that much faster than I ever have before so I still think there's more there but yeah I'm definitely happy with Sunday and then in terms of you know position on the day where it's just racing everyone's same conditions the men's field was, you know, really good in terms of Brits. There's only a couple of guys missing, so to come on the podium again and finish behind Johnny and Ben, who, you know, ran really well, I wouldn't have beaten those guys on the day. So, yeah, I was definitely happy to pick up another British medal. And, yeah, no, it was a good day. Yeah, brilliant. Just a couple of things when I'm picking that. So, obviously, before the race, we talked about it, didn't we? And we said, you know, the Olympic qualifying standard was your, was your A goal. You were going to go with the pacers who are going at that pace led by Mo Farah and we thought that it might be on at what point did you decide that wasn't going to happen yeah like on my current fitness I think if it was perfect conditions and I felt as good as I could on race day I think 2.11.30 is possible it was by no means guaranteed I was still gonna have to run the best race of my life but you know with the weather as it was I limited I'm able to hold it so I decided at about 10k just to back off ever so slightly I didn't slow that much but it was just not committing to what would have been almost a suicidal pace at that point um, so I just backed off a little bit and ended up in a smaller group of three which eventually just became a group of one I was running by myself uh, and I ran by myself probably from 10k up to about mile 18 or something like that um, and then I started to catch people who were falling off the group in front, which obviously, if you've ever been in a race, it's really nice to be catching people and seeing a target to work towards up in front of you, uh, rather than just looking over your shoulder all the time, hoping you don't get caught. So mentally, the second half of the race was, was quite nice because I was always chasing someone and I could see my position on the big scoreboard just moving up maybe one position every couple of laps. So... Yeah, it was nice and I kind of forgot about the distance a little bit and just focused on racing, which is, you know, it was a nice way to run mentally. And it must have been reassuring as well that to, for you to have made that gamble to back off when others went with the pace, reassuring to know that actually as the race went on, you made the right call because at the time you just don't know, do you? You don't know if you're making the right call, but as the race unfolded, it became clear that you did. Yeah, you never really want to let people go because you think, you know, there's five Brits ahead of me at the moment and they're moving away. They're not getting closer, but is marathons a long way, you know, where you, your position at 10K has no real relevance as to where it's going to be at the end. So, 
yeah, you've just got to kind of be confident in yourself, know your own fitness and trust that you're making the right call at the time. And looking back, I definitely did. And did you feel that at the time? Did you feel confident in yourself at that moment, uh, sort of from 10K onwards, or were you at that point starting to panic a little? I wasn't panicking because that was my seventh marathon. I kind of know what it's about at this stage, how, you, how you're supposed to feel at 10K. And I could feel myself running a little bit harder than I should have been, given the group and stuff, it should feel easy. But So I knew if I wanted to make it to the end and still feel okay at the end, I was, I had to back off a little bit. Otherwise I could have stayed in the group probably to 30 K, but then I probably wouldn't have run 213. I mm. would have, mm. at 30 K I'd have been in a really bad place. Yeah. So I always have this thing that I say to people that I coach that, you know, every minute per every second per mile, you run faster than the shape you're in in the first 10 K costs you 10 seconds per mile in the last 10 K. And that's yeah. based on a little bit of evidence, but it's mostly about the feeling of making sure you're not overcooking it early because it really does come back to bite you later in the race at whatever level you're running at. Yeah, for sure. Like all you've got to do is look back at pretty much any marathon. Like I remember in 2017, um, I ran 214 and the guy just ahead of me went through halfway in 61 minutes and <laughs> ran his second half in 73. Yeah. You know, is that's not, a place you want to be in so yeah you're definitely right in what you say if you go a little bit too fast at the start you don't lose the same amount of time you gain you lose a lot more so and at your level because you're so close to the physical limit it's accentuated even more so every little difference so every every second that you go too quick it has a massive effect later on and you see that with the the others you know as they start to come back to you in the race yeah, for sure. But there's an interesting question that I was being asked on the day, actually, about the conditions. So people were saying to me, what, what is it about the wet that makes it harder for people? Because surely it cools them down and makes it easier for them. And we know that cooler conditions are better. So what, in your experience of actually running it and knowing how that felt, what difference did that level of, because it wasn't just drizzly, was it? It was proper rain and the ground was properly wet. Yeah, <clears throat> like running a marathon in cold conditions is actually quite nice. I've done it a few times and yeah, it's great. You don't have to worry about drinking or getting too hot. Like that is probably ideal, but the rain is not something that's ideal because obviously you've got a vest on, you you know, your kit gets heavy. Like it's not really nice. Some things chafe and yeah, you know, you have rain in your eyes and it's just not ideal like even picking your bottles up like you pick them up on a dry day you can grab it really easy but the bottles are really slippery so i ended up dropping a couple of them because mm. it's just so hard to grab um and slowing down to do that as well yeah and you know if you saw the course it was basically just like a big rectangle so you've got four 90 degree bends almost which on a dry day you can probably go around at full speed but you you weren't slowing down too much, but you're just a little bit cautious about going around some of the corners. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't big differences, but very little things spread over two and a quarter hours is adds up to be, you know. Yeah, and there's, and there's a grip issue as well, isn't there? So you're not getting the same power off each stride off the surface because you're not able to grip quite as well, which, again, is a small thing that adds up over the course of 40k. Yeah, for sure. It's just lots of very small things, mm. but 
Yeah. yeah. So the other, the other thing about the race I was going to talk to you about, there was a really amusing moment for me when I was watching it on TV where when you got lapped. So you got lapped right towards the end, didn't you? Pretty much on the, the well, on the winning group's last lap. So it's probably yeah. your second last lap. And obviously by that point, Kipchoge had been dropped. So it was the group of four or five, I think, that went past you. And then Kipchoge wasn't one of them. What went through your head at that point? Yeah, well, there were speakers all around the course, so I could yeah. kind of hear what was going on. But, you know, still, at that point, I'd run 24 miles. I was not focusing too much on what they were doing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could see a group go past, and Kipchoge wasn't there. And he never actually lapped me, which I was amazed at. But, yeah, like, it looked like an amazing race to watch on TV. Mm. Um, I didn't actually see the sprint finish until afterwards, but... Yeah, it was a bit strange to know Kipchoge was still in the race because I could hear that, but for him not to pass me and all the others did, it wasn't like one or two got away. There was he was eighth, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a big uh, upset for sure. Yeah, it was, and then the race was great to watch on TV. It was also hilarious because I mean Kipchoge he looked uncomfortable the whole way round. You know, he wasn't his normal self. Even the fact he was wearing, you know, a, 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 for me, a non-running style cap. At the very beginning he didn't look comfortable at any point and then obviously he started to fall away but the four the four or five of them it was a race to the finish and the yeah. sprint finish i felt was hilarious because they, they were running through treacle they were really struggling yeah. to find the effort but it was brilliant and it's great and it, the great thing about it is it was a race and just like you had a race and natasha had a race for the british title as well which was fantastic to watch and sarah hall had a race for second place in the women's race which is also fantastic to watch we talk about shoes a lot and we talk about times and everyone's obsessed with the world record since Kipchoge's been on this march and getting under two. It's actually great to have some racing. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, you like to see people run fast and, you know, check the guys doing a 10k time trial tonight, basically. But racing is just so much more fun to watch. Like, it, whether they run 202, 205 or 210 on the weekend, like, to have five guys in the last mile after 25 miles all racing each other is it's amazing. So, mm. yeah, and Sarah Hall, you know, she's probably had more headlines than Costco because of that amazing finish. So, yeah, you know, racing is just so fun to watch. And in terms of marketing the sport as well, I think that gets a lot more people talking about it than just someone running on their own. Yeah, I everyone else yeah i agree i mean i think it's going to be interesting you're right about chapter guy tonight trying to run the 10,000 meter world record on his own and it's all, all been set up to do that and it will yeah. be amazing to watch and i'm i personally think he'll do it and i'm i don't know what you think but whether he does or he doesn't it's going to be entertaining viewing for that reason alone but there is still yeah. nothing better than watching people go toe to toe over the course of a long race and then it comes down to something so so drastic as a sprint finish in a marathon which yeah, is always definitely. funny so the other thing that was very different and unique about this race was the build-up. So you obviously the bubble, you going into the hotel somewhere in the M25 on Friday, being kind of locked away, if you like. How, what was that like and how was that different from normal marathon build-up for you? Yeah, this, this was definitely different. Like you had, you know, it was even nerve-wracking in the week of the race. The most nervous I think I was was getting my COVID test before going. Yeah. Just because if that came back as a positive, then I wasn't racing. And I didn't find that out until Wednesday. So, you know, I did everything I could to be negative, but you still don't know. So 
everything in the build-up to this was different, like no races, not having access to the track. Once I was there, it was just a big relief and I was happy to be there. And where Once we you were staying, in the bubble, you mean, at the hotel? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where we were staying and all that, it really didn't bother me. I was just looking forward to race. Um, you know, I had a bed, I had food. It wasn't yeah. that much difference at all. Yeah, and I guess yeah. you kept yourself to yourself because of the COVID situation, so you didn't really want to be mixing too much with others anyway. Yeah, they had lots of precautions in place. Uh, you know, London Marathon did an amazing job. I got to give it to them of all the stuff they did to make this race happen safely as well. Yeah, they deserve some recognition. But yeah, no, they looked after us really well and they made sure that, you know, social distancing was in place and everyone in the bubble had to test negative. So once you were there, you kind of had this confidence that, you know, now we're into race mode. You don't need to worry about other things. And the Bikaili thing as well. So that came on Friday, didn't he, that he pulled yeah. out. Did you know beforehand that that was going to happen? Uh, well, I arrived on Friday morning. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was just sitting, I think I was waiting for food or something. Um, and I just saw that he dropped out and he just walked past me in the lobby. It was like, it was a bit strange, but, you know, it was always going to be great to be in the same race as him, but we were never directly racing each other, so it didn't have a big impact on me, to be honest. No, I mean, you're typically very good at controlling controllables and staying focused on what you need to do, which yeah. is also reflects in your race, right? So you, you control your what, what you're doing and what you're thinking and not worrying about what's going on around you, and so you back off yeah. when you feel you need to, and you end up running a PB and coming third Brit. You know, and that's a really powerful example of how important it is to just focus on yourself in those moments. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time thinking about that, don't you? And I guess the bubble actually helps you with that because you're away from everything and you're able to really focus on your game, as, as it were, as it were in those last two days. Yeah, like, you know, it was a bubble in terms of there was, you know, the only people there were the people in the race, but it was also kind of just like a break from everything else going on right now. It was just like, all you really thought about was racing and race day. It was, it was nice to just get away from everything and focus solely on the race, which, yeah, for me was ideal. And was it a bit weird afterwards? Because I spoke, spoke to Natasha and she suggested that, it, you know, there was no mixing afterwards. Everyone just went because of, obviously, social distancing and COVID security. So did that make it feel a bit weird at the end? Yeah, like, that, that probably was a little bit of a shame. Like, usually after London, you have a big dinner and, they do all the awards and, you know, you just generally chat to a bunch of people in the race and stuff. But yeah, this time I didn't even stay on the Sunday. I, not many people did unless you had a reason to, like you were flying home the next day or something. So yeah, I guess that's just one of the things, you know, you have to deal with in 2020 with everything being a bit weird. But yeah, my main aim was always to race and it's always nice to do these other things. But yeah, the race was always my goal and if I couldn't do something else it didn't bother me too much yeah as you say it's a real the whole thing was a real 2020 experience I mean I, I was watching on yeah. telly I uh, really enjoyed watching on telly and then obviously at the same time as that everyone's doing their virtual marathons across the country so that was going yeah. on, on social media which was a really good a really I think a really good thing a really good way of connecting it all up actually so the, the elite yeah. race was going on everyone else was doing their races and to your point about the London Marathon, I've done, I think they've done a fantastic job of getting the event on and, and creating some momentum that's 
ultimately good for the sport, but also good for people's physical and mental health. I think, it, I think they've done really well. There's obviously yeah. bits and pieces that haven't gone to plan, but they're in a difficult and new space as well. So you'd expect that. And I, generally, I think they've been, they've been amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, the thing I always say to people when I coach the Muscle Marathon is that yeah, I think there's usually a journey of uh, after the race. So Sunday, no matter what the outcome is, people are related to finish the marathon. And so there's always a sense of, I did really well. I finished it. Even if you missed your goal, people still feel elated to have finished because it's so hard, as you know. And there's a lot of glory that comes with that. Monday, that glory is still there. You're still getting the, the social media likes and people are still talking about it. And perhaps for people who work in offices, they go into an office or they go into a work and they still get kudos there. But by Tuesday... It's yesterday's news the world has moved on but you haven't quite yet and so usually what happens is tuesday wednesday people get a bit down because they've you know they lose and also the other thing is you get um you're exhausted and there's a bit of a big emotional crash so it's wednesday today how are you feeling yeah like today's probably the first day i'm walking a little bit better like <laughs> monday and tuesday especially i was really struggling to go downstairs so i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that um yeah, like, it's a shame, like, last year I did Toronto in October, and I spent the week after the race just on holiday, kind of, in Toronto, just doing what non-runners do, sightseeing, whatever, it was great, mm. and it kind of took my mind off not training and, you know, not having anything to focus on, so, you know, at the moment I'm pretty much just stuck in those at home, so it's a bit different, but... You know, I have done this six times before as well. So I kind of, I know I'll have another marathon and more goals to train for. So I'm enjoying a bit of rest at the moment and focusing on work and a few things like that just to take my mind off things. But yeah, definitely not training and having the structure of your day like you normally do. It is different, but yeah, I just get used to it, I guess. Are you, have you done any running at all since Sunday? No, I, I usually take between five and seven days just completely off because the last rest day i had before monday was october last year so yeah, yeah um yeah you know it was kind of weird to not run but on monday i genuinely couldn't so <laughs> yeah. they are they are the going downstairs backwards that's what normally yeah, happens was, to people it was two feet on every step and really struggling <laughs> no and it's amazing that you can push yourself that hard at your level that you end up in that in that condition because typically you know, the more marathons you've done, the more accustomed you do. And you, you do recover more quickly as time goes by. But obviously, you've never run 2.13.11 before. So your body has been stretched. Yeah, energy-wise, I feel really good. Like, I mm. don't feel like I've raised by my quads. Yeah, they're, they're in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So what is next? What, what, what's the plan from here? Um, well, in a normal year, I might look at racing again in you know, between six and eight weeks, maybe a 5K or 10K, and then gradually build up, focusing more on speed at the start and then building up towards a marathon in five or six months' time. So ideally, that is what I'll do. Hopefully, I can find some races. Uh, I haven't looked too much yet because this week, I'm not going to think too much about running, just recover and enjoy some other things. And But yeah, you know, next early next week, I'll start looking at potential races I can do um long term wise is what I look at first and then kind of work backwards. So I likely race a marathon in March or April, probably the Olympic trials. Um details are to be confirmed, but 
if it's not that, it'll be another marathon around that time. And then I'll, you know, if I'm looking at a marathon in April, I'll do a half in March and February, and then a 10K in December and January, more likely. Um, exact details, I won't know for a little while, but yeah, it's nice to have a plan and something to work towards because I always find that helps A, when you plan training, and B, when you do it, because it's nice to know you're working towards something. Yeah, exactly. And you've got something to build towards now. So in many ways, you could, if it all comes off and there is an Olympic trial race in the spring and you're part of that, this race is a good stepping stone because it's effectively halfway in between where you were on your previous PB and what you need to be running to potentially qualify for the Olympics. Yeah, I definitely feel like if the weather's better and I feel good and I have a good training block, that 2.11.30 is possible, which is nice. And I feel like this kind of elite-only marathon has kind of prepared me for what April could potentially look like as well because I know we won't have the Kenyans and Ethiopians there like we did on the weekend, but, you know, they, were, they weren't much help to me on the weekend anyway. I was only racing the British guys and a couple of others. So, yeah, you know, I feel more prepared for another race like this after the weekend for sure, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for joining us again. And thanks for sharing your thoughts. I mean, it's been a fascinating experience. It's been very different from normal marathons, but you've made it look like a normal marathon and you've done really well. I'm really pleased for you that you ran so well and got got on the podium and ran ran yourself a big PB. Well done. And I know that um, consistency is a big thing for you and you're going to continue to be consistent across the winter and then come at the spring, no matter well, depending on how, you, how you're feeling, but you'll attack the spring spring well, I'm sure. Yeah, cheers. Definitely looking forward to get back to work and, yeah, building towards the next goal. Thank you, and we'll speak to you again soon. So that was Josh, and Josh spoke really well about how he changed his race plans very early on in the race. He was prepared to make a call early and had the, the courage of his convictions that that was the right call and, and it would pay out in the end but he also talked about how he didn't allow consciously didn't allow any of the other things to affect him as he built up to the race so the biosecure bubble the the keely news the nature of the race being different for him that obviously the, what came across was the biggest issue was the covid test because he was so desperate to race and then once he was there he just got in got into the job in hand and i think that's a really interesting articulation of how we can how we can cope with external stresses and he really focused on what he what he could control okay uh, we're now going to move in to talk to Paul Martelletti okay so we've got Paul Martelletti now club mate of mine at Victoria Park Harriers and Tower Hamlets AC who towed the line on in the elite race on Sunday with some expectations of or a hope I guess for of a fast time a 215 or there there or abouts so, Marders, how did it actually go? What happened? Yeah, so I guess the in, the intention going into it was was um, a 68 split, so around that 216 mark. Um, that would have been a you know roughly around a minute PB. Um, so not not being too greedy, uh, but also you know enough to be satisfied if if it pulled off. Um, I would have been stoked for a 
for a PB. It's been like nine years. <laughs> and, and presumably you thought the conditions of the race, like the setup, the elitism of the race, that you know, all of that would have worked in your favour for running a PB. And the course, in, in theory, it was fast course. So you thought maybe you'd get a PB off the back of that? Yeah, I mean, I run hundreds of laps and training around various parks and things. And so, yeah, I love lapped courses. Uh, they're quite easy to, you know, you get a feel for where you're at. So that was fine. I'd, I'd run around St. James Park a bit. And, the, you know, the loop itself is pretty, pretty quick. Um, you know, it does have a, an up and a down, a little up and down. But, but you know, any, as you'd expect in any race, the later it goes on, the harder those little bits become. So, you know, for a good 12, 15 laps even, you, you hardly even notice that little down uphill bit. Um, so yeah, definitely it was all a, a good setup for to be able to run fast with you know a small field, some people running similar times, aiming for similar times. So yeah, it was all there on a the plate nearly. <laughs> <laughs> the cross was knocked over. You just had to knock it in. So what? So what actually happened then? So did you get to halfway in '68? Um, no, not even. So our first, you know, we set off and we were we were bang on pace. Um, so we were looking at six minutes 54 per lap. So that was the whatever 2.135 kilometer lap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's exactly 216 pace. And we, I remember it was like 654, 1350. We were Who are you running group. with at that point? Um, so we had a small group. So Aaron Scott, Josh Lunn, and Dan Nash, and myself. Yeah. And the other, we were thinking of like Peter Legrice, he was looking at running in that too, but he was a bit ahead of us. So it was just us four really. Um, but yeah, we were going through at 6.55, pretty much bang, 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 got down to, I think it was five, five laps. We were bang on pace, um, more or less, you know, give or take a second or two. And I just remember one of the, cause we had the drinks on every lap. Um, one of the at one of the drink stations, I can't remember exactly what lap for, maybe five, I don't know, but I just remember Josh and Aaron sort of pulled away um, at that drink station, and I think sometimes that's you get that bit of a adrenaline rush or that excitement, mm. or you know, like you, you kind of all of a sudden you're not just running, you're like, oh, 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 where's my drink bottle? Got to go get it. So yeah. sometimes people surge a little bit and unintentionally, um, and that that little surge kind of just broke up. So Dan and myself were behind them. We lost a bit of ground, like a few meters. And then um, it's almost like they noticeably <laughs> picked up the lap because I think I remember we went through that lap in about a, I, I'm sure I said to Dan, it was like a 650 lap, which was the quickest by far. And they had pulled a five or something second gap on us. So they, right, yeah. you know, they'd motored that lap um and unfortunately so it broke up the group but yeah. so we ended up you know after all that settled down and um halfway i was 68 51 so it was actually you know quite a bit off the intended split um but yeah for the first five or six laps it was pretty much on pace and then i think because of that breakup of the group just sort of dan and myself were left to try we we, we i think we just settled into a comfortable pace rather than pushing splits because um, yeah. it was very hard I'm not sure if you've seen the GPS outputs of some of the people racing but it's I got 27.2 miles it's crazy so like you can't even rely on your watch for a half 
realistic pace you know yeah. like i was getting sub five minute miles when in fact i was nowhere near like i was five ten at best so the only feedback you're getting is at the end of each lap yeah i was trying to use the the 1k marker so you had the start line obviously and then and then a 1k marker was around um, birdcage walk near the end oh yeah and so i knew you know that was like a reliable kind of point it's like okay here's a 1k split i know that and having done all the laps i knew that from the start to the finish you know you're looking around it's just over a mile so maybe 520 is a, an ideal kind of range to be around um and then obviously the laps so i had sort of three key markers that i could keep track of um I wasn't like looking at them every lap, but every, you know, I'd sort of make a mental note sometimes and I would be able to keep track of it. So kind of, kind of helped a lot. And the one thing with the course, which was in hindsight was um, not a, not a great thing to be honest. Um, they had a, the kilometer markers, they had every single kilometer marker in its position on the course, right yeah. from the start, right to the end, yeah. every single mile marker. So you've got 40, no. yeah, you've got numbers everywhere. Yep. You've got about, you're dealing with like 60 odd different yeah. numbers to, to look at it or 65 even. And it's fine to start with, you know, where you're at, but then later on, you're like, you see 23 K and you're like, is that, is that this lap or, no, no, I don't. I'm on 15 something miles, so no, it's not 23. Yeah, I must be looking yeah. at something like 25. <laughs> you just lose track of. Yeah. So those markers become meaningless. You can't even sort of, you know, look at your watch and work it out. Like like in a normal marathon, it's you can do that. You know, you know exactly where you're at. You can. Yeah. So there, it was almost just too much information um, on those having those markers on the course. And then the other, the other thing that's going on there as well, so if you're running with Dan, so it's just the two of you, and he ended up not finishing, didn't he? So he had, he had a bad day, as it turned out. So that yeah. that wouldn't have helped either, would it? Because if he was struggling and, you know, you're trying to hold pace, there's a, quite a big responsibility on you. Whereas if you're in a group of four, then if one of you's off, one picks it up and you all stay together. But So that split was probably quite a big, big factor in it already, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it did... You know, Dan and I were sort of switching a little bit, and then it, I did sort of notice he was dropping back a bit, and and we caught one of the guys, like the um, Peter the Grice, who who went off a bit ahead. He came back eventually, um, and also Aaron Scott, he um, dropped back a little bit. Uh, did he finish? Up, no, he mm. he pulled out about 15k. I think he had issues with his shoes, and also he's had niggles going into it. Right. Um, but little things like that, it's like, you know, people coming back to you often are no good, you know, for pace, you know, they're not, yeah. sometimes they can sit in for a bit like that. The reason is they're struggling on their own, but when they get in the group, they can regather a bit. Um, but depending on how extreme that comeback is, sometimes they're, yeah, they're yeah. out the back door pretty quickly. Because that's one of the things that struck me. So obviously you finished in 220 um, and that was off where you wanted to be and you were a bit disappointed by that. We'll get back into that in a minute. But when I was speaking to Josh and Natasha, one of the things that kept them going was the fact that they were in a race. So Natasha had a really good race to win the British title. And Josh was, he backed off his pack of the Olympic qualifying time quite early and then just reeled them all in apart from Ben and Johnny Meller. Um, yeah. So he got a lot out. They both got a lot out of the fact that it was hard. The conditions are hard, but they were in a race and they were, you know, they were, they were trying to beat people as opposed to running for a time, which it sounds like you were yep. probably 
stuck doing because there wasn't too much racing going on at that back end. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, I mean, I'm I'm fine to just run like a time trial kind of thing. Like it was in my head, like ten laps to go. I was like, right, I've done I've done these ten laps in training. Like I've done it twice. I know what it feels like. I know it feels hard on your own, and it you know. But I just knew that I could just knock them out. It wasn't didn't really worry me at all. And as soon as I got to like you know the single digits, it's like, right, I'm just down to nine laps. It's yeah. It's as crazy as that is, that's nearly a half marathon in that race. But it's like, it didn't seem like as much. Um, so that was all right. And that's but, how you broke it up. You broke it up lap by lap. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even, I had no idea about my, I think I, I knew my 5K split. And then after that, I was just like, I had no idea what what kind of intermediate splits were. Like I knew we were in the 68 something for halfway, but it wasn't really obvious where that where that was. They had a, almost they had a, they had the start finish gantry over the over the course, and then they had another extra gantry thing in the middle, but it wasn't the halfway mark for some reason. Right. I don't know what it might have been the twenty. No, it wouldn't have been twenty k. I, I don't know. There was an extra one, but then there's clearly like there was a little chip kind of thing on the on the road, which was the halfway mark. So it's like I don't know what the other one was. So it was just yeah, it was a bit confusing to know where you're at, but I wasn't too worried because I was keeping track other ways. That yeah, and that's where. Funnily enough, like the the laps that I did in training, like that really paid off mentally for me because yeah. I knew what to expect and I knew I'd done all the you know plenty of laps with doing the maths in my head. You know, it just just made. Well, that's it easy. how you roll anyway, isn't it? You roll doing laps and you roll by working out splits and and paces and effort levels as you go through. That's how you train. Yeah, yeah. So that that sort of stuff shouldn't have been. It wasn't uncomfortable to you, but you are disappointed by the, the overall outcome of 2.20.02. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's not, I'm not like stoked about it. Um, I'm, I'm not like hugely disappointed. I'm just, you know, like I'm, I was, I was really, I'm just really grateful that I was part of it. Like it was such a, an amazing experience really. Like yeah. hopefully, you know, it's, it's like a one-off kind of thing. Um, and you know, it'll go down and, you know, as, as a story to tell, keep telling in the future, you know, like the, the bubble Definitely. lockdown marathon or whatever. Definitely. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some really awesome parts about it. Um, but yeah, had I run, you know, even a minute, a minute quicker or something, it would have been, you know, that, that, that's the fine line between happiness and, <laughs> yeah. you know, a bit of dissatisfaction. Um, well, I, well, I was thinking when you finish a marathon, you're happy, whatever, because it's, it's really it's hard. Over. <laughs> yeah, and it's over. Exactly. I mean, it's really tough. Whatever the outcome, it's usually the sort of days later that people start to go. Ah, maybe I could have done a bit better. I'm a bit disappointed. Really, they get over that sort of initial elation. Um, is that yeah. where you're at, or are you are you still, or are you reconciling? Um, you know, like you say, that it's it was a brilliant thing to be part of. That you, no one's can ever take away from you the fact that you ran in that race. Yeah, the the one thing that really just hangs over my head is those two seconds or three seconds, <laughs> that, you know, to get under that sub 220. Um, I even, I was asking uh, the the organisation people, some of the people there, I was like, oh, do you think we'll get um, a chip time? Because I was definitely at the back and I reckon, <laughs> you know, we're talking like, it, it might only need to be like, uh, it'd, it'd need to be... At least I mean, one and a half seconds. seconds. 
yeah, one and a half will get me two twenty. Oh, 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 you know, like flat, yeah. exactly yeah. flat. But I actually need a whole extra second because <laughs> you have, you know, it rounds up. So, um, I think I even if they did do chip time, I'd be, at, I'd be double zero seconds. But it would be a bloody awesome time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd I take it, mate. I'd take it. I did. Um, actually, on the day, I was, uh, one of the guys I coach, Alan Smith, he ran the Ethan Dorney Marathon. He ran. He was going for sub three in similarly difficult conditions, and he ran three hours and twenty eight seconds. And um, yep. and I said to him the same thing. I said to anyone who just narrowly misses the arbitrary time goal, it is basically a rounding error. You know, that is. I'm gonna. I'll do the maths, but it's like it's way less than than a tenth of a decimal away from your target and it's just a tiny fraction you've run oh yeah you've run for 20 or is it ten thousand seconds to do a marathon something like that and you've run two seconds short yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i know it's <laughs> you know you could have got that if you'd have taken one of the corners and, a bit sharper and all it is really is a is it's you know hugh jones does the measuring he's just been a bit too stingy on the measuring wheel and like you know measured it one centimeter you know two too short and it was it up. was really close to the edge wasn't it it was right in the gutter the blue line yeah so when i was running when i was running the laps i was it was like in the middle of the day you know cars everywhere but um i was running right on the edge of the road where the gutter is but what they did is it almost like they put the course almost near the towards the middle a bit more of the right. road so um yeah it was the blue line was like almost right next to where they put the barriers. Yeah. Basically, because that is obviously the shortest line, like you're probably a 30 centimeter from the barrier or yeah. whatever it is. Um, but it wasn't definitely wasn't the shortest route around the park. Not that it matters because whatever they measure, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't matter. But yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, how these things play out. So how, how much do you think, um, obviously the conditions are tough, rain, bit of wind, you know, you'd seen the women go off as well and the, not many of the women had good days. There weren't many PBs in the women's race and the elite, the elite, the really fast women, the Kenyans basically, that they weren't smashing it by any stretch of the imagination. Did that make you think at the time that it was going to be a slow day? Um, so going into the, like in the, in the lead up to, you know, the week before, like as you do checking the weather looking at what's going on and it seemed to be it go, went from really windy really rainy to nothing to, to like less wind or still quite windy but not no rain and they had a bit of a gap on sunday where there might have been a some clear weather still quite windy you know it was just chopping and changing and in the end we ended up with really wet and really windy on paper um and I think, like, I think I just, I just likened it to like a, you know, you go to the track or something and when it's windy or whatever, and you, it's a bit like a, a little bit of a fartlek almost where you're put a bit more effort into the wind to try and hit your times. You might be down a little bit, but you sort of benefit a little bit on the other, other end of it. Yeah. Also when you're in a group um, saying to the other, the other guys, the, the, you know that we're that I was running with at those kind of times like we just literally need to take like it's 20 let's say it's 20 times into the the windy stretch you need to every five laps you take a turn and that's only like three or four probably only three turns because by 15 laps it's bound to have broken up or something anyway 
um, you just take one turn each and it's like for the sake of that little bit of extra effort you're actually going to net benefit overall because other, rather than the pace slowing yeah um, but no I didn't I didn't really adjust my time or target or anything um, I think the main reason I didn't do that is when we got to the course having seen the the weather forecast like 20 like 17 mile an hour winds with 20 28 mile an hour gusts or whatever it was which typically would be absolutely horrible um it seemed pretty calm you know like you could see the wind you could feel the wind yeah but it wasn't the it just didn't feel that kind of strength and i'm not sure if that's just purely that location is quite sheltered for for that particular wind direction if that makes sense like yeah. if it had been a different yeah. direction it might have been more exposed but yeah. it seemed to like dampen it somehow and to be yeah to be honest i just didn't think it was that bad the wind no but the rain um the rain i think had an effect i definitely i mean i was running and i like i could feel my toes were just cold i was like i've got cold toes like <laughs> i never never feel that um even in i don't even remember like even running in the rain i don't really get cold toes i don't know what it, i don't know what so, it was you, about. so your shoes were soaked basically your feet were soaked properly, yeah properly wet yeah pretty wet um and i i wear like half tights so this is another thing i was, I was thinking about afterwards it's like is it, you know in theory they can act like an insulation kind of thing and like the, the yeah. wet is it keeps you warm maybe maybe not but if it's sort of the wrong material or, or something then maybe it's not a good thing like cotton's probably not the best but yeah. i mean i was you know i was wearing oh, actually the the saw tights they're, they're like really into their kind of innovation i think and they, they make some really nice stuff and and i was quite happy that they were you know they've done a lot of testing and things on those things and it's like well you know they're going to help me um, yeah. but it's one of those things you sort of go well you definitely my my legs my quads definitely i could feel feel them and i know and then it's like is that is that the the, the rain the wet the cold or is that also the, the surface, the, the turning, the right turn lap, like 20, 20 laps of right turns. Is it something to do with that? Yeah. Um, and it is it's interesting. It's really hard to pinpoint, yeah. Because when I spoke to Josh, he was complaining his quads were sore. And, uh, you know, we talked about a bit of a hypothesis that because the ground was so wet, you don't get the same grip as you would do on a dry surface. So you have to pull yourself up a little bit more from your hips and from your quads. So it's inevitable that you're going to get sore in that area. But who knows? I mean, like you say, it could have been the right right hand turns all the way. It could be that you just ran twenty miles in uh, twenty six miles exactly. in two, two hours twenty. You know, and you're yeah. in your forties now as well, so it gets harder, doesn't it? When you get older. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's still life in me yet. Yeah. Oh yeah, a few years to go. No, we know that. Don't you worry. And what about the stuff beforehand? Was that a factor in any of it? So the bubble, you know, obviously there's a lot of hype, a lot of excitement did it make it different and harder for you to race in that environment do you think or did it make no difference at all um not really i mean like i only went to the hotel on on the friday and i bizarrely like like we had to get there around by lunchtime because you know had to have a covid test so that that they had time to get the results back um before the race and everything and even though that was almost like the only thing I had to do, um, like that day, I think 
so I had to drive there across London. You know, it's just horrible. It was horrible rain. So then it's like that took like a good two hours nearly. Yeah. To to the secret location. Yeah, the secret location. I, I still don't even know if I'm allowed to say anything. <laughs> do about you, do it you even know where it was? Do you like they blindfolded <laughs> well, no, you we in there? Yeah, yeah, we were blindfolded, bundled into the back of a van. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and yeah, so we got there, did the test, and I went for a run and stuff. And it just, I just remember, like, I don't know if, like, you know, like a lot of the watches these days, you've got your, your health stats, you know, like it's 24 hour tracking of like, you know, wrist heart rate and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and like tracks your steps and all that. And, um, I, you know, over, over lockdown, when I look back at some of those stats, you know, you can see your stress level on that watch. Like it gives you an indication yeah. of, you know, are you walking around a lot? Are you, are you, is your heart rate up? Blah, blah, blah. Have you been resting? Um, and, you know, like my stress levels are pretty low when I'm at home because, you know, working from home, you can just chill out, go for your run. But then my stress levels on the Friday were just like way up, you know, according to the watch. Um, and, it, and it did feel really stressful, like just so much sort of going on I guess so much like input you, you know stimulus yeah. That, yeah. that was new and exciting so yeah it was, it was good to be there on the Friday and then sort of chill a bit on the Saturday uh, the stress before the, the race is never good is it of any description no no because um, obviously it's burning it's burning calories uh it's yeah. burning adrenaline and cortisol it's using up all the stuff that you need when it comes comes to the race and I did wonder whether that was a factor for every every competitor, actually, even the Kenyans, that being stuck in, because they were there a lot longer as well. So being stuck in that, that mm. context, which would have been really weird, really alien to all of you, whether that ends up having a bit of an impact, as well as the fact yeah. there's such a big buzz around it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, once you were there on the hotel, like it had big grounds, you could go, you know, the, the little loop I was doing, it was about, three quarters of a mile around the sort of perimeter of the grounds so you know you just in your last you know like i mean yeah i might have done like an eight or something mile or on a monday but by the time i got there on like friday it was like i just need to do three or four miles max so do like five or six laps and and so that was no issue um but also once you're in there uh the they were spacing out the, the meal time so you know there were different sittings because of the room could only you know socially distance yeah could only take like x number so they had to space it out um but you know you could go and get a takeaway kind of bag and they put things in little you know you could just go and grab your stuff and off to your room so in that respect it was it was quite good like i did that on the saturday and just like yep i'm just because again, it's, it comes down to a stress kind of thing. Mm. You're just even just sitting there and the eating with other people, talking. You know, you're just looking around, what's going on. It's quite a distraction. Whereas it's like, no, nah, back to the room, shut yeah. off, yeah. just just watch TV. Yeah, little, little, way more relaxing. Little spa break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> little, little stress-free in theory break from it all. Yeah. It must, it must be weird. But it also, like you said, it must have been amazing to be part of it. And being around all those athletes for that length of time, specifically because Kipchoge, I guess, and Bikili and you know, all the things that unraveled and in that sense, it, you know, you were part of that. Yeah. It's it's funny, like like I said, we had those different meal times. And I think all the, the Kenyans and Ethiopians, they they were in the other sitting, like which makes sense because they've all traveled together. So 
when it comes to to like trait you know the kind of track and trace kind of thing yeah like if they're all together and something happens then at least the other group are probably safe-ish somewhat because yeah. they've been distinctly split and kept that way so i didn't i don't think i saw kipchoge until race day i if i remember rightly and um like i got there to the actual race and they had like you had individual three by three meter pods with your own portaloo and i like just went to the end put my stuff down sat down went for a little walk came back next thing you know i look across my and kipchoge's in the pod opposite me <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so i managed to get a, get a few little videos of him like warming up and you know <laughs> stuff like that putting his so, pants on yeah 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 <laughs> everything like that uh, how was yeah. he in the morning then? Because in the race, it, I, f I felt watching it on TV, it was really clear early on he was struggling. You know, he, he didn't look his happy, set, normal self. He didn't look comfortable at any point. And obviously you find out afterwards he had this ear problem and a few other bits and pieces. But at the mm. time, it didn't look right. Did it, did it feel any different? Well, obviously you don't normally hang out with him, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any, any signs? Well, check out my Instagram. I do. I hang out with him quite a lot. Oh, that's true. You... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember in Berlin, you had a little dance with him. Uh, um. No, so from what I could tell, he looked like normal, fine. Um, the ear thing, um, back in, so I've got a, a similar experience, let's say. I don't know, it could be similar. But but for me, like, I can't even remember when it was. It was London one year, and I was, you know, like in trying to run 218 or something, and basically didn't go well. And I think I ended up running 226. But basically what, what happened is I could, I had a similar thing with my, my ears were blocking up. It just it, it to me at that time I just felt like it was a sign that I'd just gone a bit hard and my body was shutting down and that was one of the things that it was mm -hmm. decided was non-essential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't know like you know he he did have a he did struggle a little bit but he didn't sort of blow up as badly as I did that's for sure. I mean he still ran pretty much a even split give or take you know maybe it was a minute slower in the second half. Yeah, it wasn't ter terrible. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, the, the weather maybe does that, I'm not sure. Um, well, the, well, the wind affects the ears, doesn't it? And if there's a bit damp, who knows? Who knows what's going on inside Kip Chunky's ear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but like I say, you were part of that. And then the Bikili thing was also kicking off on Friday too. So that would have been another distraction, presumably, because he dropped out Friday afternoon. Were you aware of that at the time? Did that affect anything? Uh, no. Not, oh, not for me. I mean, at, at most it was just a little talking point and um, just like, oh, yeah, he's dropped out. Like, that's a bit random that, yeah. you know, it, how do you injure yourself so close to the race? But apparently he would, he'd done something before he left and he thought he'd be able to get through it. Um, whether, whether it was a case of, you know, they needed the hype, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But, but, you know, if you accept what's been said and he, he was injured before coming and or a niggle and he tried to get through it and just, just couldn't, then... Yeah, take on pace value. Yeah, it's a big shame. It is what it is. But the London Marathon have done a brilliant job of making the whole thing on. Uh, I mean, to show everybody that you can do something for elite athletics at this point in time, I think it was brilliant. And the race itself, if you go beyond times, the, both races had really good bits of racing in them. Yep. Yeah, no, there are some really, yeah, I mean, I've, I was just watching it this morning, actually, I haven't had a chance, but I was trying to catch up a little bit, and, like, 
I mean, I was I was on the side when Sarah Hall basically stormed past to take second. Yeah. And and it was like looking at the commentary, it's like it's always it's so funny that they're always like in hindsight, you know, you can it's a bit more obvious, but it's like oh no, it's too far. She's not going to close that gap. You know, it's constantly kind of on the negative side. Um, but I just when I was there, I was like, you could see that she was closing everyone down, and it's like. At the end of a marathon, like, yeah, 2K, but you can lose easily yeah. a minute. Like, someone can run seven minutes and someone will run eight, nine, ten minutes. It's like, it's nothing. Anything yeah, yeah. can happen. So but it was a minute. She made up a minute, didn't she, on that last lap? Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Once, well, and once the head's gone, you you also thought, because the commentators were also saying about that, that, you know, perhaps Ruth Chetnagetic doesn't know she's coming because there's no information, there's no crowd. And you think, well, yeah. if that's the case, she's going to pick up the pace as soon as Sarah Hall gets alongside her. But she didn't because she had nothing left yeah. in her legs. Um, yeah. Because yeah. that's the marathon, isn't it? You know, once you're done, you're done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was, what I found strange was she was obviously, you know, struggling a bit. She was still in second at the time, but she, I, I don't think she ever looked around. Like she wasn't, you know, normally if you're struggling, you'd be like, Oh shit! The last thing I want is someone to. Ask yeah. So you kind of look around, and that's a sign that you know you you really are struggling to the person but you behind never, you. So but even if you're struggling, you never look behind, do you? You don't want to give any any clues away that you're struggling. Uh, it's I don't know. Sometimes it's like, like how close are they? How how much time have I got to psych myself up? Yeah. To how, put in a real big bit of effort. Yeah. To sort of you know I don't want to go too early, so it's almost like you're trying to judge how much you can relax before you have to do the effort. Yeah. That's what but, I kind of find. But I suppose when I, the best example I can think of is when we do club races around Victoria Park and the, you go around the apex and you get the opportunity then to look yeah. look back. But without looking back, you can look across and yep. see what gap you've got. Um, yep. That, yep. That's, that's the way that I like to do it. Cause looking back, I think, oh, no, don't look back. You're just giving away that you're struggling. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose you're right. Yeah. You, kind of, you kind of have to from time to time. Okay, so what's uh, what's now? So you've been building up for this for a while. Through lockdown, your training was extraordinary. Other people have talked about that, but you put in some serious miles, particularly early on in lockdown, and then you kind of got fine-tuned around this, didn't you? So what's yeah. next? Um, I mean, I, you say I got fine-tuned. I kind of had only I had short notice. <laughs> like True, I, yeah. Okay. To turn it around, but it was it was it was enough. I mean, I would have liked a bit more. I just I think I said it somewhere. I never really felt like I was hitting the the times for the workouts you know I was always mm. like around honestly I was like running 70 minute halves like pretty much every time I did something hard workout it's like yeah just just to be like down at the 69 you know I was barely getting under 70 so it was like and then and then that's exactly what I ran on the day 70 plus mm. 70 or you know it's like oh, so that's the shape you were in yeah it's kind of was like that's where I was at and like so to it's it's kind of useful like in the past i've run like 69 halves and training like at a, at a like around victoria park or Battersea or something and you know that's what i know i am in nearing pb shape and, and you know like if you that's sort of like obviously 218 but give or take 30 seconds so you know had the conditions been better then yeah probably would have been in that 219 area i guess mm. who knows um but yes, yeah, so going forward, I well I've been for a few runs already. Uh, well, Monday, Tuesday, been Wednesday. It's Wednesday today. Yeah, yeah. been for a run every day still. So 
I'm, I'm not feeling too beat up. Like my legs are a bit sore, uh, but they're, they're definitely improving. So um, whether I look for another marathon, I, you know, like I just do like doing another marathon quite soon after, um, just because there's all that fitness there. Why put it to waste? I might as well just do a bit of touching up here and there and see what <laughs> you can pull out. Yeah. Um, and I, I am entered in Valencia, the, the, the elite marathon sort of going ahead. Oh, and you're um, in that? Yeah, so I've got an answer oh, cool. in that. Oh, uh, whether I'll do that or not is another question. Um, there's still all the you know international travel and stuff. Yeah, a bit and, of a and quarantine and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if there was like a really good British race going ahead somewhere, like like the um, Wrexham one, mm. I don't know if that's what the deal with that is anymore. But if something came along, you know, November December, it'd be pretty awesome. I'm sure there'd be a, quite a few guys keen, but it's whether something can go ahead like that you know yeah um but and for you the recovery is easier because you're i mean how many road marathons have you done now have you any idea oh uh, no idea 30 plus yeah yeah i don't know so that long-term strength that you've got means that you recover quickly so you're able to get out and about pretty quickly um so you know you're not having to worry for, for people who run under 10 marathons it's a, it's a big stretch to ask them to run again in two or three months but for you it's kind of cool yeah Oh yeah, it's just what I do. What I like <laughs> doing. It is what you do. You do most weekends, in fact. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll leave it there, I think. And thanks very much for sharing your thoughts. It's really cool. It's really good to have a different perspective because Josh and Natasha they had really good days. You had a slightly less good day on a performance level, but you had a fantastic experience, which will always, always be with you. So thank you very much for sharing all of that, and good luck getting better and recovering and yeah. getting back to your next race. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Anytime. Do, do you need a subtitle this with my accent? No? <laughs> so they would probably do, yeah. How do you subtitle <laughs> a podcast? That's, yeah. that's an interesting one. Well, they'll get someone to do a read-over. Were they like an aud audible book? Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll get someone to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. So that was Paul, Paul Martelletti. And what really comes through in that conversation is how different he is in his personality and how analytical he is as compared to both Josh and Natasha and how focused he was on some of the specifics around the course layout and the times that he needed to hit on each lap split and all of the things you would expect of someone like him. But what also came through was how difficult he found the experience on the Friday, how more stressed he was, how his stress levels were higher than he would have expected them to be. And I'm, I'm in no doubt that that would have had some kind of impact upon his performance, but also the performance of many of the other athletes on the day. It would be impossible to prove, and it is just a hypothesis, and it is a hypothesis that framed a conversation as opposed to something that I'm determined to prove. If for no other reason than the most obvious thing that impacted upon performance were, were the conditions. The rain, the lack of grip on the surface, meaning you have to work a bit harder rather than getting bounced off the track, and to a, to a degree the wind, would definitely have been factors that slowed everybody throughout the race down. But I think it's interesting to consider the, the impact of stress because I think it applies to us all. I think that stress is something that we've learned to live with, but it doesn't make for strong performance. And if we can find ways of managing that stress and if we can find ways of coping with change, then it's possible we will be able to perform at a higher level in whatever it is that we are doing. So thank you for joining me and thank you for joining 
the athletes. I think it was really interesting to get their different perspectives on what was an incredible day and one that will live long in the memory. And hopefully it is the only time the London Marathon is run in that way. So we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. And I'll speak to you again very soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 